John 6, 1 through 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Well, this is life and death stuff we're talking about. In John 1, we began this series, Jesus is the Word. And then uh, Dave preached to us about how everyone must be born again in order to have life. And last week, uh, we looked at um, the situation of prejudice and mistreatment uh, that would have been placed upon this Samaritan woman. And Jesus breaks through these cultural barriers to say, I can give you living water. So you'll never be thirsty again. And then today, we come to this beautiful theme um, called the bread of life. And to help with the sermon today, um, you're going to actually get to have some bread. And I think this will actually help us. And so I have a crew of people that are going to be passing out some bread to you. And it's actually, if you like Indian food, uh, this is called naan bread. And every time I see it, I just think, I think this kind of looks like what Jesus would have eaten a lot. And so, it, it, you know, if you, like, don't like it, that's okay. You don't have to get one. But everybody else can, including kids. Everybody can have one. If you need gluten-free, then we also have some folks walking around. Just raise your hand, and, uh, and they will catch you. And we've got people in the balcony, people in the overflow. Hello, overflow people. Um, glad that you're here with us today, too. And uh, so uh, you can just go ahead and do that as I'm talking. And, uh, and then just hold on to that. Don't eat it quite yet. If you've already eaten it, I'm too late. Sorry. A couple of people have already ruined the whole sermon. Um, that's okay. Uh, you, everybody else can just kind of hang on to that. Um, so I, I need to uh, begin this sermon with uh, an apology on behalf of the staff here, because um, all the way back in uh, around Christmas time, there was a Sunday morning, and we were having HP 101, which is our, our luncheon to um, visit with. Uh, guests who've been coming to Highland Park want to learn more about Highland Park, and it's always a really fun time. But we were down there in the middle of HP 101, and all of a sudden I heard something behind me, and it was dripping. 
and I thought, that's, I'm not supposed to hear a dripping noise behind me. And I turned around, and Dave and I looked, and there was water flooding from the ceiling down in the downstairs classroom, and I'm thinking, this is not like a good look for us having our guest here at this special luncheon, and then suddenly we flood uh, the room. And so the guest like jumped on it really quickly, and they were getting a trash can to try to catch the water, and Dave and I like ran upstairs to try to figure out where the water was coming from, because we've had leaks in this building before, but never there. So it was kind of a whole new one. So while I'm running upstairs trying to figure out where the um, leak is coming from, and also trying to look for one person uh, that was still trying to find us downstairs, and I realized I hadn't made their way down there. And both of those things are in my mind. And somebody handed me something. But have you ever gotten something and you have no idea who gave it to you? Well, later when I was unpacking stuff in my office, I pulled out this gift bag that had these Texas Roadhouse gift cards in them for the ministers at Highland Park. I mean, that's like a really awesome gift. And so I gave them to people I was supposed to give them to, but I spent the next several weeks being like, who gave that to me? Who gave that to me? And it was somewhere like on my mad dash to try to find where the leak happened that somebody like stuck a gift bag in my hand, and I have no idea who it was. So just the apology is, if you gave a Texas Roadhouse gift card to me, thank you very much. I just don't know who you are. <laughs> um, my, I don't have the Sherlock memory where I can like retrace who I saw. We actually asked several people, and uh, everyone was like, uh, no, that wasn't me, so maybe you're just being humble. But anyway, thank you. But who likes Texas Roadhouse? Any fans? Okay, so uh, the thing about Texas Roadhouse, you know, is what can you do with the peanuts? Chuck them on the floor. You, you can eat the peanut and chuck uh, the, the shells on the floor. Imagine with me, uh, if you went to Texas Roadhouse with some friends, you walk in and that smell of steak hits you, and you're walking by, and you sit down, and they bring you, you know, the, the big bucket of peanuts, and uh, then the bread, and this green, beautiful salad, and some mashed potatoes, and a big steak, and... You're just like, oh, this looks so good. Imagine if your friend um, looked at that and then got down and started crawling around and eating the peanut shells. And you're like, dude, what are you doing? You've got like a steak. And like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good with the crumbs. And they're just crawling around the restaurant. Well, you'd probably get thrown out of the restaurant eventually. Um, or they might hire your friend to do cleanup for them later. But it would be really strange. But what if I told you, that many people on this planet are doing that. Not, not with food like peanut shells or real physical crumbs, but with spiritual things, they are settling for crumbs on the floor instead of the bread of life, which Jesus wants to offer. And I appreciate Matt reading our text for us today. So if you have your Bibles, um, turn to John chapter 6. Hang on to your bread there with you. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But John chapter 6 uh, is, is our text today, and it's a great text. So the feeding of the 5,000 is recorded in all four Gospels. Uh, that seems to make it very significant. Um, as the stories of Jesus spread, the crowds were growing. And here we find Jesus with all these people kind of scattered on this plain, and it's, he's like up on this kind of mountainside. And I imagine it kind of made for like a nice amphitheater so people could hear him speaking, uh, you know, without having a microphone back then. 
And there's all of these people, and he's been healing the sick and guiding the troubled, and he's been doing all of this ministry. Uh, we kind of call that holistic ministry because he's wholly caring for the whole person, you know, physical, emotional, and spiritual needs, all of that together. We try to practice that here at Highland Park. But mealtime is coming, and they, they're looking out, and there's 5,000. And usually when they counted, they just counted men. And that's kind of chauvinistic, I know, but that's just the way they did it. So we can guess... There's maybe 15,000 people there. I mean, this is a huge crowd. And they're thinking, everybody's hungry. What are we going to do? Now, you might stress out if you had to plan a meal for 15 people, right? Some of you really would stress out. Imagine being like, uh, we got 15,000 people. How many Sam's lasagnas can we go buy really quickly? But they don't, they don't have a Sam's nearby. What are they going to do? And Andrew, who always seems to be helpful, he'd brought Peter to Jesus. Um, he had brought some Greeks to Jesus, and here he, he brings to Jesus and said, hey, all we got is what this little kid has, his little lunch, you know, a few pieces of bread and little fishies, and here, it's what we got. And I appreciate Andrew's, like, good attitude here. I imagine the others were like, um, Andrew, is that even worth bothering Jesus with? Because that's not going to cut it for 15,000 people. It's going to be the world's smallest meal. And, of course, as we saw in the scripture, Jesus sure enough, uh, says, okay, just start passing out the baskets. And the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how it all happened. We just know they kept passing it out, and there was more bread and more bread and more fish, and more, and they just kept, and the basket never ran out. There's some other stories in the Bible where there's kind of a similar thing, but it's just a miracle. You can't explain it any other way. And here's my thing about miracles. If God can create the universe... He can really do anything else he really wants with the universe, right? It's not difficult for me to believe this because if God made the world, he made the bread in the first place, <laughs> the things to make bread, then he can make bread come out of a basket. So that's kind of an easy one for me to, to think about. But here's what we need to know. Uh, and if you want to take some notes in your sermon page, if that helps you, uh, then you can do that. The first thing is that the bread, which is Jesus, fills you with life. It fills you with life. My friend Diane is sitting over here and she gave me permission to share uh, this, this testimony that she had shared with her Bible class a few weeks ago. But Diane was living in Chicago and was downstairs in her basement area uh, doing laundry one day and finances were tight. And as she was doing the laundry, she realized her kids really needed some new socks and her, the, the socks were just looking pretty bad. And she thought, i got to get my kids some new socks. And she thought, I'll borrow some money, and I'll buy some new socks, and then I'll pay somebody back. And then she thought, no, nah, I can't be doing that because I don't want to owe somebody else money, and I don't want to borrow that. And so she was just kind of having this little thought. And she was walking up, up the steps um, to the main part of the house, and she heard the old kind of wrought iron mailbox kind of close real loud. And she's like, oh, I got mail. So she goes and she checks it and there's an envelope. And she opened the envelope and in the envelope was a note from her aunt who said, Diane, was just thinking of you and praying for you today. Here's $50. Go buy your kids some socks. Isn't it cool? Isn't it amazing how Jesus fills us with life? Because in that moment, you can think, well, it was, it was 50 bucks. Oh, for Diane? That was life. Because when God interacts with our story, we are filled more than we ever 
could experience on our own. It was more than just new socks. It was God's provision. So if you have that bread in your hand, you can go ahead and take it and eat it. Okay? And as you do, I'm going to take a bite too. I want you to think about how Jesus has filled you in your life. Times when you were spiritually hungry, when you were emotionally a wreck, and Jesus comes and he fills you. Just as you eat that bread and you swallow it and it's physical, think about how Jesus has filled you, how he cares for you, how he brings warmth to you from the inside out, something you can't do on your own. It's pretty good bread, isn't it? But the bread of life is even better than physical bread. More so than that tastes good is the taste of Jesus saying, I will give you life, real life. See the bread that we're eating? We need more than that. If all that we had was bread in this life, we would still feel empty. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And so don't settle for crumbs. Don't, don't settle for just, here's this stuff down here. Don't crawl around at Texas Roadhouse getting peanut shells. No, we need the bread of life. Listen to chapter 6, verse 27, because he goes on and he talks about how he is the bread of life. And we can't read all of these verses, but we can read a few of them. Chapter 6, verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Verse 33 says, uh, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Who came down from heaven? Jesus. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. And if you follow Jesus, he fills you up. He says, there is no temptation that can overcome you. He says, I will always be with you. He says, I will comfort you. I will be with you. I'll never leave you. I am with you. I will fill you up and give you real life. Some of you need to experience that real life. So Jesus, the bread, fills you up with life. And then secondly, the bread of life is eternal. Look at verse 40, chapter 6 of John. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus is saying, listen, when people die, that's not the end. Because if you have followed me, then I will raise you up and there will be eternal life. And it's so easy, isn't it, for us just to forget about the eternal? And we kind of go through our day, I got to do this and this and this and this. And we forget that God made us to be eternal, to have life with him eternally. You know, this physical food, it can fill us up for a day, but not for eternity. And Jesus says, I will fill you up for eternity. So we need to seek the spiritual, the deeper things. And so if Jesus, the bread, fills us up with life, and if the bread of life is eternal, then the third thing is this. So don't settle for crumbs. And I want to talk to you about some of the crumbs that we settle for. Believe it or not, 
Physical healing is sometimes a crumb we settle for. Just one chapter earlier in John chapter 5, Jesus uh, finds uh, this man who has been lame, crippled, he can't walk, for almost 40 years. He's been in the same condition. And Jesus sees him there um, uh, near this pool, and people believe that if you got into the pool at just the right time, then you could be healed. And Jesus says to him, do you want to be well? And we don't know this 100%, but it seems like when you read the text, the kind of person we're dealing with here is a victim. He kind of comes across as whiny and hopeless. And we get this picture of this guy who's like, I've been here for almost 40 years, and I was going to try to get in the pool, but somebody always beats me, and there's nothing I can do. And he just kind of whines and I probably would whine too if I had lived his life. But Jesus says to him these words, do you want to get well? And church, there's some of you who maybe have been whining for a little too long. And Jesus is saying, do you want to get well? Is it time for you to allow Jesus to help you so you're not just laying on the ground feeling sorry for yourself that no one ever wants to come and help you and Jesus is saying, I'm right here and I can help you. And so this guy is kind of a whiner and complainer and you know what Jesus does? He heals him anyway. Isn't it awesome that Jesus is kind to people like him and people like me and people like you? See, this guy... Like Ashley said, he he wasn't healed because of how great he was. He was healed because of how great God was, how great Jesus was. And so he heals him. And you would think if Jesus healed you, that you would want to do good things for Jesus, right? But what happens is some of the Jewish leaders find out that he was healed on the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, you weren't supposed to work. And that was their own little rule. And they said, they had kind of gone on top of God's rules. And they said, hey, you should not have been healed. So they cared more about kind of the rule following than Jesus actually healing this person. Anytime we care more about rule following, especially our own created rules, than we do about compassion for people, we might be in trouble there. And uh, they say, who did this? Who healed you? And he's like, I don't know. Like, you don't even know who healed you? No, I didn't really pay attention to his name. So he's walking around now, and he bumps into Jesus, And after he talks to Jesus, you know what he does? He goes back and he tattles to the Jewish leaders. He said, hey, I found out the guy's name who healed me, who did this miracle on the Sabbath, and he should get in trouble. His name is Jesus. Do you know what Jesus said to him when they bumped into each other? Jesus, I kind of picture it as Jesus just kind of comes out of the crowd behind him and said, hey, um, if you don't stop sinning, worse things are going to happen to you pat him on the back and kind of turn and walk away. (laughs) But Jesus kind of fires a warning shot at him. So what happened with this guy? I mean, he was lame for almost four decades, and Jesus heals him physically. But you know what we find out? Just because you get healed physically doesn't mean you get healed spiritually. Because Jesus is the ultimate gentleman. He actually lets us choose whether we accept his spiritual healing or not. He says, I am right here, ready to change your heart. I'm ready to take away your whining, complaining spirit. I'm ready to take away your ungratefulness. I'm ready to transform you from the inside out because those legs, 
Those weren't your real problem. The real problem was spiritual, that you needed the bread of life, you needed me, and I, I will heal you. And the guy was like, no, nah, I'm good with the leg thing. That's all I want. You know, we've all prayed prayers, saying, God, help me physically. Help my friend physically. Help this person physically. And you know, I've hit my head up against the wall thinking, God, why have you not healed this person? And I don't really have a lot of answers other than, this text reminds me that God is up to bigger things than physical healing. He is up for physical healing, but he's also up for bigger things. And so sometimes one of the crumbs we can settle for is say, God, if you'll just heal me physically, that's all I need. That's just the crumb. Hopefully, physical healing will lead us to spiritual healing. That's why Jesus is doing that in the first place. There's another crumb. And it's political freedom. Did you catch the last couple of verses when Matt was reading? That as soon as Jesus does this great miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, uh, he's got to get out of there because he realizes that they want to make him king by force. Well, why do they want a king? Because the Romans were the big bad empire and they were crushing the Jewish people. And so the Jewish people um, had some kind of a slogan that may sound familiar. Make Israel great again. <laughs> and, and really, that's what many of the Jews just wanted. They wanted to be out from under the Roman uh, oppression. And I don't blame them for that because the Romans were cruel. And the Romans were mean. And they wanted out from under that. And they were fine and right to want out from under that. But here was the problem. That political freedom became their God. They wanted political freedom more than they wanted Jesus. They were so blinded that they were missing all that Jesus was doing. I mean, Jesus was never going around like getting a group of people and teaching them how to fight with swords. It wasn't that hard to notice. He was doing something very different than that. His kingdom was very different. And so uh, in our culture today, I think this is one we have to be careful of because there's there's like this uh, fine line somewhere between we want to honor God and have a country that honors God and makes rules that honor God because when that happens, it's good for everybody, right? We agree with that. But sometimes we can cross this line, and I can't tell you how many flyers I've gotten in my office mailbox that what I fear they're saying is let's... Let's come to God so that America can be great again. And I'm like, are you making God a means to the end of America being great? Because I don't think God's okay with being the means to your end. God is the end every time. And I can't judge the hearts of those people. All I know is it makes me nervous when I hear somebody saying, the reason we need God is to fix our country. We do need God to fix our country. I'm not arguing with that. I'm just saying we need to be very careful that fixing our country or our city or our marriage does not become our ultimate God. God is our God. He is the bread of life and he is enough and he can have his way with everything, and he can heal us and, and fix us like we can never do for ourselves. So we just need to be careful 
that political freedom doesn't become our bread. It should probably just be a crumb. <laughs> it should just be one of the beautiful byproducts of people following Christ. And the, the last crumb I want to talk about is manna. Do you remember manna? Uh, all the way back in the Old Testament, uh, the people were hungry. Um, they needed food, and they woke up in the morning, and they walked out, and they picked up something off the ground like this, and they were like, what is it? The word manna means, what is it? <laughs> they actually, that's what they named it. I'm serious. So they're all walking around. What is it? I don't know. What is it? You eat it. No, you eat it. No, you eat it. Okay, I'll eat it. It's pretty good. And so they ate it, and God provided for them day after day after day. In fact, they finally got sick of it, and they started complaining again. The Israelites had a habit of that. But God provided for them with this miracle. But when the text says that God has sent down the bread of life, the people are remembering manna, but God is saying, now it's Jesus. It's better than a physical miracle. And so in times in your life when God has provided food for you, and by the way, I think every time we eat food, we ought to pause and say, wow, God, you gave this to me. Like you actually figured out how to make a banana. That's amazing. And you figured out how uh, you gave somebody the creativity to take all that weird things that it takes to make a hot dog. And you did that. And I get to eat it. And it actually tastes pretty good if I don't think about it. Um, <laughs> but I think every time we eat, we ought to pause and think, wow, God did this. He provided this for me. Just, just like the Israelites walked out and found manna on the ground, we're like, well, I paid for my food. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Now, how'd you get that money? Well, I worked for it. How'd you get your brains? God made you. How'd you get your health, your muscles? How'd you get that job? I mean, God provides everything for us. And I think that at least when we're eating meals and beyond that. We need to just be reminded, God provides everything for me, but he wants to provide more than just physical needs. He wants to provide for my spiritual needs. So all, all the way back in chapter four, I just want to tell this really quickly. Uh, Jesus heals this official son, this, uh, this kind of official guy, uh, big name guy. And the text closes, uh, that story closes out with it saying that the whole household believed. See, that's what Jesus wants to do when he heals us, when he uh, brings freedom to us, when he does a miracle for us, that he wants us to be spiritually healed as well so that our whole household can believe, everyone around us. That's what the bread of life is bringing. I read this quote. It goes like this. Jesus desires you to receive him, not simply for what he might give you, but for what he might be for you. It's not just about the crumbs, the stuff he gives, but he actually wants you to take him inside of you, to make him your Lord and Savior. Throughout the book of John, there's a lot of I am statements. Listen to a few of them. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Jesus is saying, I am, I am, I am, I am. Don't miss that, friends. Because Jesus is, I am, the great I am, like we were singing. 
And Jesus wants you to say, God, you are enough for me. You fill me up. You are all I need. I don't need anything else in this world other than you. And you've come for me to give me real life. This is life and death stuff we're talking about. And this morning, if you would like someone to pray for you, maybe pray for your whole family. We'll have a few people uh, just over here in this front row that would be glad to pray with you and pray for you. If you would like to, to talk with somebody about what it means to be, to be baptized, um, or maybe you're ready even today, then again, you can come forward now or come forward at the end of the service and uh, mark that on your communication card, and we would be glad to be visiting with you about that. Would you please stand and let me pray for us? God, thank you that you are the bread of life. You are enough. Forgive us when we've settled for crumbs. Forgive us when we, we just kind of settled for stuff that maybe you even blessed us with, but then we forgot that we needed you more than just those things. So God, we pray that as a church, uh, we can honor you and make you our bread of life so that we can give life to others. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.